Hi, I'm Adam Murray. Subtle Disruptors is about pondering two questions. What does it mean to live well in this moment, given the context within which we find ourselves? And how can we shape the world we live in so that it becomes closer to the one we want to inhabit? I do this by talking with people who you probably haven't heard of, but who I think are embodying a fascinating response to these two questions and doing it in a way that involves subtle changes all of us can make. I want you and I to get as much as possible out of these stories and to feel encouraged, connected and resolute in our own quests of subtle disruption. This week I'm talking with Eddie Harron. Here's a little bit from Eddie. Not enough time, not enough time. Wasting time. But if I lived 150 and I knew that was going to happen and I knew I could even potentially look the same, right? Because you're going to have that anti-aging stuff. Would I have more abundant relationship with time? Would I be at peace? You know, oh shit, I got another 60 years. I don't have to rush. I just have to trust my psyche's how it wants to unfold. The psyche has its own timetable. So would that lead to abundance in time? Or is death in the end an integrate? Like we need that to understand our own time. I've been looking forward to chatting with Eddie for a long time. Ideas seem to spark whenever I'm around him. Here are some details of our sponsor for this week before I tell you a little more about our conversation. A brand new product to market, roaming company produce the highest quality fresh mints you can find and through a connection to local artists have created an entirely different mint experience. Available only in select coffee shops, partner locations and online. You can learn more at roamingco.com and share their journey by following roamingco on Instagram. You know those conversations you have with someone where they help you see something in a completely different light? Something you know is going to have an immediate impact in the way you experience the world and will go on revealing its truth for days and weeks to come. Something that, once it has been revealed, seems so obvious and you wonder how you could not have seen it before. I feel like this whenever I get the opportunity to have a chat with Eddie Harron. Eddie's going deep to explore the character and traits of time so that he can help us reimagine it and to realise that it was within our power to design and shape time. Thanks for joining me, and I hope you enjoy listening to Eddie Harron, aka Dr. Time, on the subtle disruption of how we conceive of and experience time. Yeah, Eddie, awesome to be sitting with you, aka Dr. Time. Awesome to be sitting here with you. My first question is always about where we are and why you've chosen this place. So where are we today? Uh, Today we're at Huddle Design, which is a human centred design agency based in Melbourne. And I used to do some work for them, and they graciously allowed us to borrow a room so we could do this podcast. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. What sort of work did you used to do at Huddle? I'm intrigued by Huddle. I don't know too much about it. I've been in here recording a podcast once before, but oh. their work seems cool. Yeah, they do a whole bunch of stuff. They've been building out like a kind of body of work moving beyond human-centered design to what they call value design. Mm. Um, and the idea of value design is in any given system, you have multiple like capitals at play so financial social and thing that i'm into is temporal capital and so like how do you design systems that are more like holistic in helping us understand what values are at play and a lot of people are talking about this stuff are they yeah yeah Yeah. so that's the sort of direction they're moving in and i was part of their research division building out my like temporal capital practice alongside them yeah yeah. So talk about that, temporal capital, what yeah. is that? Yeah, so temporal capital was a term, or an idea came across from these Scottish researchers from Edinburgh. 
And they ran a series of like unconferences trying to unpack what temporal design is. And the idea is, you know, we can design time. We talk about designing experiences and products and services, but there's patterns and there's research in time. Yeah. You know, so like, for example, like how would we redesign the clock? You know, because the clock affects our behavior. <clears throat> so I, I read this recent paper from one of the researchers and she talked about, which I bloody love, she talked about from critical cartography to critical horology. Essentially what that means is we use maps, right, and landscapes to like recontextualize how we see the world, mm -hmm. you know, and data visualization. Like we're obsessed with maps, maps, maps. Yeah. But we don't do that enough with horology, with clocks, you know. Like we can reinvent horology and thus reinvent how we see things. You know? yeah. we, we are doing that, but we don't do it consciously enough. I don't know if that made sense, but yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. How do you think our current horology impacts us? And what would, what could an alternative look like? Yeah, so there's two things. One, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners will be sort of intuitively familiar with this, is our obsession with the clock. You know, clock time has become the predominant operating system of our culture. Now, that's not all bad, because I like to think the clock was the great synchronization technology, because, you know, the planet and our global society could not exist without this synchronization technology. So it's amazing in that regard. We all do something at the same time. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. all time zones allow, yeah. you know, coordination and, like, yeah. planes and everything <laughs> is yeah. built on synchronization, right? Mm. And we, we invented that, but it emerged slowly over time, firstly with the railroads and then on yeah. and on and on and yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Our discovery of atomic time and our ability to measure that. Yeah. So, but I think we've kind of gone a bit overboard you know with that a little bit and we've lost touch with the sort of the subtle time the more intuitive time because you know nature does not give a shit about what time it is yeah. it doesn't care if it's like 708 yeah but it works on different patterns you know alan watts says nature exists in rhythms it doesn't know time per se mm. so what was the question again <laughs> yeah our current understanding of horology yep. and how that how that design is impacting or dictating the way we live and yeah. what an alternative could be yeah. as well. Yeah, so I think maybe maybe understanding a little bit more of the natural patterns of the universe and how that affects us and maybe, you know, designing work maybe around that. So, for example, everyone has different cycles of time. So you might be a night owl and I might be a morning person. Like, that's actually how we're... Different people are, like, actually structured like that. Yeah. And so what would a work system look like if we're not, okay, Adam's a morning person, Eddie's an evening person, yeah. let's, let's design around that rather than assuming, okay, you're 9 a.m. and my 9 a.m. is the same. <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's yeah. 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 Probably the other thing I think would be interesting too is uh, like linearity. It's such a deep assumption around time. And what I mean by that is like the timeline, right? When we look at a calendar, we often use this line. Where 1805 is over here, and where 2017 and 2030 is like over there, and it's a line. Yeah. But time isn't a line. Because it isn't actually 2017 right now. That was a Judo Christian technology yeah. that was invented. Yeah. So, yeah. That's some of the things. There's a lot more, but an important way of like reinventing what time could look like is really being able to see clearly 
yeah, some of the illusions about time or the, the hidden infrastructure. Again, these were revolutionary inventions, but you have to have things in balance. <clears throat> so I think, yeah, having things, I call it the timescape, like more balances and more holisticness yeah. in the timescape might allow us to sort of engage time more fully. Yeah, I think, I mean, a couple of thoughts come into my mind as you're talking about that. One is just about the way most workplaces are structured, yep. and how everybody needs to be in the same place at yep. the same time, yep. which probably isn't optimal for a lot of people. Yep. Like They're not going to do their best work at a particular time, or it's not going to be the same across the whole organisation. Yep. And there's no concept of a different way of thinking about it yep. right now. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at, is that we've had this almost single concept or single way of thinking about time, which has evolved, yep. and now it's got to this point. And I think some of the work that you're doing is saying, well, let's have actually have a look at it and see what the characteristics are and see what some of the other parts that exist there that we can tease out and maybe exactly. enhance the way we're exactly. living. Exactly. Yeah. I like to think the work world, I call it the 9 to 5, 5 to beat. So, you know, 9 to 5, 5 days on, 2 days off. Yeah. And that's a certain, I like to borrow from music, that's a certain, like, musical notation. Yeah. And everyone works on this musical notation, but everyone's music is different. <laughs> like, is. So we're all just operating on this, like, one sound you know, yeah. the sound is time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like what what would temporal inclusiveness look like, mm. where we all had our own rhythm and we design work around that? I mean, it'd be it's really complex to have. You know, how would you organize that? I don't know. Yeah, but maybe it wouldn't need organizing. Maybe if it was acknowledged and we kind of allowed. Mm new ways of being and working together to emerge, it might be right. It might be, I don't know. But I just think about, you know, we don't organise how people get to a place. Yeah. Like, they can choose. They can catch That's a train, true. a bike, they can walk, they can drive or whatever. But maybe. Well, know. and the other thing to take account, like our computers, they're not 9 to 5, 5 to 2. They're 24-hour days. They're on all the time. So this clash, right? Nine to five, five to two, and twenty-four yeah. online. Yeah. Yeah. Like we have to <laughs> yeah. figure this out. You know, that's yeah. a, a lot of the tension with digital. Yes, it's on. Yeah, you know. So the five two doesn't work. This is why people check emails on the weekend, exactly. and we know it's not good for you to check work emails, but we do it anyway. Yeah. So yeah, I think maybe the nine to five structure worked at a point. But now things are different. Did you know, by the way, side note, hmm. Melbourne is actually really famous. It was one of the cities that spearheaded the 9 to 5 movement. Really? Yep. Yeah. No. There's actually a, a statue. Oh, is that the 888? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so when they were fighting for their rights, you know, they were working ridiculous hours in factories and they, the unions came together and they, they got 9 to 5 rights. So yeah. this is the sort of... Um, it's like the next version of that. You know, yeah. We've always fought for our time, and, and this, is, this is a new era. Yeah. 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 I'm going to ask you about your own temporal patterns in a minute, but I just wanted to talk about myself and how I, 
I was in nine to five jobs for a long time. I guess I had a, a three year period where I ran a co-working space and I, I lived on the same street that I worked, which gave wow. me amazing flexibility and started to change the way I thought about time. And then I was thrust back into a nine to five job. And it wasn't until I had a year off of just stopping work, I had a complete gap year that I was able to start to appreciate my own rhythms mm. and create some of my own routines that just worked for me because I didn't have external pressures as much shaping that. Yeah. And now I realise that, you know, 20 hours is kind of the maximum amount of time I can spend in an office. Wow. Okay. Um, to have yeah. And, and I really like weaving three different projects in three is my optimal kind of wow. number. I like, I'm probably more of a morning person than a night person. And I like doing quite uh, focused creative stuff in the morning and then more social interactive stuff yep. in the afternoon and outsizey kind of stuff in the yep. afternoon. And I don't mind, yeah, I don't mind my work sort of weaving in and out of my whole week as well. Like right. I, I, yeah, and I like, I like kind of shaping when I, you know, having exercise or socialising in with work and it's sometimes those things get challenged and I have to compromise them a little bit. But, well, I guess what I'm getting at is I've learned a lot over the past three years about wow. what I like and what works for me. Wow. What about yourself? Well, you- I just want to say, like, can you imagine if we, what you just described, we had at the beginning of the formation of a team? Yeah, that this discussion. This discussion. Yeah. You know, and what what would the quality of the the team be like mm. if we had that empathy and understanding of each other's temporal rhythm? Like yeah. that, you know, what would the team rhythm look like? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, the, my own temporal rhythm? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes people assume, because I'm the time guy, I have my time figured out, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still all over the shop, you yeah. know? and. I thought at some point early on that I could get to this point where I'd know everything about my temp rhythm and I'd be optimized. But what I realized, it's an ongoing tension, inquiry, mystery that you have to constantly dialogue with. Mm. So yeah, as context, I wanted to share that. But I've been lucky, actually, that I've spent about three and a half years working at Center for the Edge. It's affiliated with Deloitte. We're like a research think tank. And because of my gig, I had a lot of, like, temporal freedom. You know, I was embedded in a corporate, but I didn't really have to conform. So I was very lucky in that regard. And, yeah, I have a particular health condition, meaning I have to yield to my body's time. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, what, what I learned in that is I like to work in time sprints so I go crazy for like two weeks and I'll just become obsessed yeah and I'll just work all night all morning and then I breathe so I think I'm a sprinter breather sprinter breather yeah and I I don't know right now if this sort of five two like like marathon is marathon the right term I'm I'm not sure it's just yeah yeah, that's sort of one aspect Um, I think I'm more of a night owl but I, I would try to be more of a morning person. I am definitely a lot more clearer. The funny thing, I think a part of getting good time is actually understanding where your attention goes and how you're optimizing. I don't like the term optimizing because it's so Tim Ferriss-y. <laughs> <laughs> that whole like 
life hacking, self-optimization stuff. I don't know if that's useful anymore. But yeah, I think understanding where your energy's at and then how that affects your attention can lead to better time. Mm. So, How do you become aware of that or notice that? Do you have... Is that just something you build up over time, or do you spend time in the you know in between sprints reflecting, or how yeah. do you tune into your own energy levels? Um, well, I think because I've been studying time, I, I probably have like a more nuanced literacy to describe what's going on. Yeah. So, one thing that I always come back to, and I often use as one of the first things I do when I explain time to people. So in Greek, they have two terms for time, chronos and keros. So chronos refers to clock time, yeah. and keros refers to the moment sort of time. And so understanding, for me, when I need to go on one or the other and trying to keep that in balance has sort of helped me yeah. immensely. Just understanding there's different qualities of time yeah. rather than one time. Um, that ability to have a vocabulary that you can draw upon to... To then shape what you do yeah. seems so important. Well, right? you, like you've only got Kronos to yeah, draw upon, then that's all you exactly. Know. Like yeah. if you can't, you can't see what you can't see. So you need to start seeing things in order to shape things differently. So yeah, um, yeah. And Kronos is Kronos like you know you're saying it's the moment. Is it? And I think I've heard you say a sunset, yeah. for example. It's not you don't measure it in ten, say that's ten minutes, but you kind of when someone says a sunset, you kind of know what that feels like and what it's like to be witnessing that. Yeah. Is, it, is that what's getting it? Yeah, I think it, maybe it's a sense of being engaged with the present hmm. in an active and a more like surrendering kind of way. So like, if you need to go have a coffee and reflect and chill out for three hours during the workday, but if that allows an hour in the afternoon where you're engaged with the present... Because we work in like the knowledge, you know, knowledge economy and it was all about creativity and original thinking now. So when you're talking about creativity, that has its own different timetable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you have to work a whole different style of, you know, operating with time in order to, you want to get your best thinking. That is your most value to a company or a startup or whatever you're working on. Yes. And that requires a different like time, psyche, relationship. Yeah. yeah, and it's, yeah, it's, I work at a consulting company at the moment and, you know, it's all about billable hours. Yeah, billable and, hours. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's a great consulting company, by the way, like it's, it's more, it's more progressive and more temporally inclusive than many that I know of. Right. So it's probably leading the way in many ways. So imagine Huddle is probably Very much like so. that Very as well. So. But yeah, that idea that, I'm exchanging the number of minutes of thinking for money as opposed to my best thinking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's quite an important shift because I might, you know, if, if it was the second, if it was the latter, I might only be there for three hours a day, but the other 17 hours of my 20-hour week, I might be down at the beach thinking yep. or in an art gallery or having conversations like this with you. And yep. then when I'm there for those three hours, yep. what I'm producing is... Incredible, yeah. yeah. So how do we bill for engaged hours, which isn't an hour thing, it's more like a day thing or something. Yeah, uh, and yeah. It's, it's the, your responsibility as a consulting firm or whatever to 
design systems for your employees to be most engaged, and then you—that's what they pay for. But mm. this whole like billable hours, creative work, tension—it's actually nothing new. Like people, creatives, whinge about that. They they whinge about that for ages because we know it's bullshit. Yeah. Um, but it's how do we educate clients or people that that doesn't work with? Yeah, old professions. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. They want to see someone sitting in a chair. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I did shoot you a few questions as well yes. to kind of get the uh, just get your thinking happening prior to this. Is there any that you want to jump into? Um, yeah, take your pick. Take, take my your pick. pick. All right, cool. Well, I guess well maybe the one that the one that probably well the one that I've been thinking about the most, I guess, in the past few months after reading a book that, that sort of got me realising that humans could live for a lot longer than they currently do and it could happen within my lifetime. Like this technology is evolving yeah. right now. Yeah. And that's about, and also, you know, similarly, well, at this, concurrently to that, there's a whole lot happening in automation and AI that could make humans redundant for a lot of the work that we do. And so I guess the question to you is, you know, if we say we live to be 150, like if, if the, the length of our life was dramatically increased and if the amount of labour we needed to do was dramatically reduced, so say we only needed to work 15 hours a week, what would we do? What do you think or what could happen with that time or what could people start doing? Well, I just firstly want to acknowledge that it was a fucking great question. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> I actually didn't have a clear-cut answer. Yeah. Um, um, but I think it's an important question that we need to keep asking ourselves, you know, and collectively try to figure that out. Yeah. A few things did come to me. One is, if that was the case, perhaps we could develop more long-term time horizons that are synced up with how we find our purpose. Because finding your purpose, finding doing your best work, that takes time. Hmm. It really takes time. You're not going to be able to do it easily. So if we knew that we could support each other in getting out our best work, that's one thought that came to mind. Yeah. The other thing too maybe is we'd have uh, more appreciation of the different forms of value that, and, and, and how we should do those as part of our time. Um, Tease that out a bit. Well, like, you know, if, so we have free time. Like, what if you want to do volunteer work for three years, you know? And because that, operating on that time does provide a source of value. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to think about this question, actually, because I didn't put the two together. You know, I've, I've read about the lifestyle, the life transcendent movement. Then you also have the basic income movement. But yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but I'd like to talk to, with viewers and you more about this question because I actually don't have a clear-cut answer, but yeah. I think it's a really important question yeah. to, to keep asking ourselves. Because I was talking to a friend about this and, you know, I guess the way we've chosen, like over the past, you know, since the Industrial Revolution, we've been able to produce so much more materially. Yeah. And theoretically we could have freed ourselves up already from a lot of labour yep. as well, right? We could probably, if we wanted to maintain the standard of living that we have, we could have worked a lot less and used that time more. But we, 
Instead, we have decided collectively to just try and fit more in yeah. or, you know, more work in anyway and producing more. And I wonder if the same thing would happen if, <laughs> if we did live for 150 years. Would we just try and, you know, would it be more about quantity over quality in what yeah. we did in that time? Yeah, right. Yeah, good question. Good question. Yeah. But another person that I was reading about this stuff was saying, you know, I mean, Elon Musk is kind of saying that AI is bad for humans. Yeah. And he was like, yeah. I think it might be good because it, it's where we could actually start really understanding ourselves. Yeah. You know, and develop a whole new vocabulary and yeah. understanding what it is to be human and what we can, what we can well, actually do. Well, and, uh, you know, how can we do our most original thinking being? Because I believe that all seven billion of us are seeing some aspect of reality that no one else can see. Yeah. You know, and it is our responsibility to help people articulate and make something out of that. Yeah. You know, Elon Musk is one human, look what he did. Buckminster Fuller was one person and look what he bloody pondered on. And he discovered these like divine patterns of the universe which have shaped. And, and, he, and Buckminster Fuller often said like, I'm an ordinary person. I simply maintain, like I'm paraphrasing, these aren't the exact words, but I maintained this big question yeah. over my whole, he often talked about like my life is one big experiment. So if these are ordinary people, and we have that capacity, like, and we have this free time. How do, how do we people do that original thinking, or sensing? Yeah. You know? Because it, you know, and, and from my experience, right, I've just been at this inquiry for a long people, a long period of time. So, I just I'm, I'm sensing time more. That doesn't make me anything special. It's just everyone has that capacity to sense new patterns. It's just what's you know, what temporal structures can we do to, like, support that? And so, yeah, one thing that I've had in the last year, I've, this has become more deeply embedded. That I'm going to stay at this time and quiet for the next 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very committed to that because, um, you know, the patterns I can sense and if I can share those patterns, those stories, this research, that can, you know, help other people discover their patterns because we're all talking about the same life force. It's just everyone's seeing a different, you know, part of the diamond. Yeah. Does that make sort of sense? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 Even like what you're doing, right? You are sensing this thing called subtle disruptors. Yeah. And that narrative, that idea is forming mm. as you talk to people. <laughs> That's right. right. And there is intersection between subtle disruptors and my time stuff. Like it, it isn't exploring that together. Do we discover a new pattern? Yeah. You know? So it's like everyone's narrative is valuable. Yes. You know? Yeah. And they cross over, but, but they are also distinct. Yeah. 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 What, I mean, what have you noticed as you've, you've been on this inquiry now for two, three years? Is that yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it's like 20 months. 20 months? 21 months. I can't, yeah. 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 And you want to stick at it for at least another eight years. What, yeah. in those 20 months, what... What has, I guess, what's changed in you? What have, in doing this, what started to come up? What have you noticed about how, how you are? Yeah, yeah um, one thing 
I've been actually contemplating, you know, we've all heard the term fabric of time. We know, we've heard, everyone's heard of that. Mm. But recently in the last month, that has bubbled up in my consciousness. Mm. And I actually really deeply, like, feel that now. And I'm seeing and feeling the fabric of time. What I mean by that is, so if you can imagine time as like a complex phenomenon that intersects everything. Yeah. And so now I'm kind of seeing, okay, I'll look at an ocean or the moon and I know, I kind of imagine data visualization, you know, going on a play, but it's invisible. And I'm seeing like the fabric of time moving in there or this in question, you know, this conversation we're having now, we're having a temporal inquiry. That's the fabric of time. So it's like the visible and invisible layers that affect humans, culture, nature, everything. Yeah. So that's what's deepened for me over yeah. the last little while. And what you're seeing, your subject, your internal reality, when you see that in objective reality and they're dialoguing with each other, it's quite a um, yeah, powerful thing. I think I'm seeing the mystery and the divine nature of of the universe a lot more. And I, I guess I understand now why while monks and spiritual people, like it takes a lifetime of practice to see you know, the world more clearly. So yeah. I feel like I'm a, a newbie. Yeah. Discovering those kind of things. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I follow you on Instagram. That's where um, I get most of your posts coming through from my feed. And I'm... It's actually starting to change the way I look at things to see the images that you post. Wow. Yeah, which is amazing. And reading some of the things that you put up there as well and some of the photos of texts that you put up there. What does your inquiry look like? How are you going about this inquiry? Yeah, uh, right now I think it's, it's probably been very divergent. So I'm just sketching together everything. I actually have a kind of an advisor from the University of Austin. She's a chronomics professor. Yeah. And one of the things about time research in the academic world, it tends to be very siloed. So you have social science time researchers. You have time psychology time research. You have art time researchers. And I think, you know, I've just been taking this transdisciplinary approach. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's just been sense-making. Sense but now I'm at the stage where I'm, you know, converging, I guess, and trying to articulate the evidencing or the story I've done, which is actually, I'm so grateful for this podcast because it gives me an opportunity to do this kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah that's that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, the the other challenge is trying to stitch together this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm seeing how everything is connected. Yeah. You can't just, like, write a linear essay, you know? Because <laughs> <laughs> A is connected to A, B, and C, and D. And yeah. It's like, I see it, so it's hard to communicate something like that yeah. so you have to like bring it all the way down you know and take like the little widget and communicate that communicate that which is why i think chronos and carrots is a useful 101 because yeah. it opens up the whole spectrum of things so yeah one thing i'm doing now is to try to revisit that concept and unpack its layers mm. yeah and the other thing that i've noticed now too is i do need more rigor in my thinking when you look at so much, you're still very surface level. You're seeing the ocean, but sometimes you need to go deep in the ocean. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's, that's one thing that's coming up. That's emerging at the moment. Yeah. 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 
it's interesting how, you know, you're just touching on there and how do I actually start to communicate this stuff yeah. as well. And one of the ways you've experimented with doing that is with an alter ego, yep. Dr. Time, which, uh, who I've seen at the Purpose Conference, uh, which is awesome. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and why you've gone down that path and see that as a, a useful mechanism for communicating? Yeah. Um, so a bit about Dr. Time. is an alter ego I made up at the early stages of my inquiry. And I did that, I kind of mimicked two friends of mine. One, um, a guy named Andrew Stuttart, he has an alter ego called Dr. Froth, and he's a, like a bubble clown, a bubble magi- magician. Yeah. And he uses Dr. Froth as a, a sort of an entryway to think about bubbles. He comes across like he's just a clown and a bubble guy, but he actually thinks about bubbles as ways of understanding complex systems. And there's a lot of deep rigor mm-hmm. behind it. And I had another friend, a lady by the name of Alexa Kay, and she has a alter ego called Amish Futurist, and um, she uses that to talk about like the dark side of technology and that kind of thing. Cool. Yeah. So I was seeing these guys, and I was like, okay, that's really you know interesting the way they're doing that, and so I just spontaneously decided to, to mimic that. So I think Doctor Time is a playful way to get to open up people to have a conversation about time. It's, I try to like make it safe and not intimidating. Yeah. Yeah, and because talking about time can be really confronting for people. Mm. I, I've noticed I can't walk up to someone and go, what is time? You know, it's just, yeah, so just Dr. Time has ended up becoming this, and if you look at like superheroes and like it's a very deep narrative, we understand this public face, the heroes mm. thing, like we, we get that. So it's almost like tapping into that. I'm a bit of a comic book nerd, so maybe I subconsciously, you know, mimic that. And I also found like in my talks too, for me personally, it's, a, it's an avenue to, for me to be a bit more wacky yeah. um, and just say things that Eddie Harron, alter ego, you know, won't, can't normally say. Yeah. So I can really riff and connect in with my inner like spiritual shaman self <laughs> yep. um, which is like really important to me but actually the other thing to be honest when I was working at Deloitte Center for the Edge I had Eddie the Futurist e- you know alter ego that I had to you know be in, in a, that in, in the corporate world yeah, yeah yeah so it's like okay I want to start this time stuff but you know I need another avenue to do this and this, this is actually was, another part is a commentary on how we can create you know, alter egos online. We actually are constructing our identities online. You can make many identities. Yeah. So there was that. And, you know, I do have this idea. I, I've called it the David Bowieization of my life. Yeah. So I'll probably stay in Dr. Time for ages, but, like, maybe when I'm 65, I'll have a portfolio of alter egos that I explored to explore different aspects of self. So it's almost like a, an integrative multiple personality. <laughs> where you have other things to explore your different creative impulses and they're all integrated together. But And then Dr. Time has actually been, I didn't realize this, but a marketing tool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't thinking along those lines, but just to be able to call yourself Dr. Time just <laughs> opens up doors. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's... I've never had an alter ego, but... I've thought about it in situations where I I need to step out of my comfort zone yep. in a massive way, yep. like to say do a sales role, for example, which doesn't come that naturally to me, and I need to just go around and do basically door to door sales. If I had a, if I called myself something else, even if it was just in my head, and had a little 
something physical like a hat or a, a you know a, a coat that I wore yep. that just would enable me to tap into those different aspects of myself yeah. and be that different person in that setting. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I think we forget that our identity is a is an act. Yeah. We can be many actors, you know. And you just give the actor different rules of engagement yeah. and they can, you know, do different things. So I'd encourage everyone to explore an alter ego. Yeah. Just set up a Twitter account. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And just start trying to talk from a different place. Yeah. Um, yeah, and actually through Dr. Time, I've been able to talk to like mega time lunatics, you know, and it can be really, really wacky. And it allows, you know, I talked earlier about the sense-making stuff. Dr. Time is a good way to do that. Yeah. And then Eddie Heron, the futurist, especially if I do like more corporate work, I can talk more temporal design. We need to optimize our time. Like Dr. Time doesn't need it need to be that part of that conversation. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It keeps it really separate. Yeah. This separate but integrated at the same time. Yeah. When you were talking about that, you said that it can be very confronting for people to talk about time. What sort of reactions have you had from actually bringing this up to people? Like, do they freak out? Like, or do they just struggle for the words? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, they struggled. So I did this experiment. I had this idea. It was called the Human Time Project. And essentially I was like, I want to do the humans of New York, but based on people's experience of time. Mm. So the idea was I wanted to collect 20 interviews and just see how that worked. In doing the process, this is where I discovered, wow, it's really hard for people to articulate time. So I ended up getting to like six, but it took ages just to do six interviews to get people to say their one, like, awesome insight, it took ages. So it just made me realize that you need to create a different sort of space mm. to help people, like, actually articulate the layers. So some people find it, you know, very easily, the philosopher types. But, you know, everyone, everyone has a different relationship to time yeah. and thus can explain it, in, you know, in different ways. So, But the other thing also, too, I, I said it's hard, but in the same time, like, so many people light up when you talk about that <laughs> and they have their aha moments and they're like, oh, I was talking about time this way, this way. So it's just you become a container for people to discover something they were already thinking about. And it just blows my mind. I feel so grateful that I get to witness people's eyes light up when they talk about time. It's just, it's just amazing to, to see, see that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's just I get to see aha moments all the time. Yeah. yeah. I think I was experiencing that just before when, when I was talking about how my week has changed. Yeah. yeah, it was awesome just to think about that and how I haven't really reflected on it that much and how it has actually changed mm. over the past few years. It's, I think I listened to, you were at the Purpose Conference at Stop the Time and then you did a workshop as Eddie Harron as well. And in that workshop, there was a few interesting things that came up. I'm just going blank with my mind at the moment. It happens. <laughs> but I was looking at a video. One of the questions I asked you was about, and you've touched on this as well, about the rhythm of nature and about how, say, animals or nature conceives of time, if nature can conceive of time, but how it feels time or is in time. And I was watching a timelines video 
the plant growing the other day, which was just amazing how see you reaching for things, you know, that you don't normally see on a normal time scale because the movements are so small and subtle, but, you know, coming back and looking at a broader time scale, it's amazing. But there's a question that I have about, I guess, maybe, yeah, just understanding from you some different concepts of time based on ideas from nature, ideas from animals and, um, and how... Are there different concepts and ways that might be able to change how we think about our time and design our time yeah. as well? Yeah. Um, you know, probably the main one is circular time. If you look at everything, like you mentioned, nature, but our bodies, you know, women have, have a deeper, more visceral relationship perhaps with circular, yeah. you know, yeah. whereas, whereas men not so much. So maybe that's why we get a bit more, you know, linear. Linear, yeah. That's one thing. Yeah. Uh, what's coming to mind? Maybe understanding, too, that different cultures have a different bias yeah. towards past, present, and future. Mm. So if you look at, like, a lot of Western cultures, we're very future-orientated. Goals, you know, what's next, what's next, what's next, future, technology. It's all about what's next, what's next. Yeah. Whereas other cultures, you know, they're, they're much more deeply engaged with the present you know, in Spanish, they talk about mañana, mañana, which means like tomorrow, tomorrow. And the idea is like, just be present. We'll figure it out tomorrow. Yeah. In a lot of Asian cultures, there is a, maybe a, how would you call it? A more mindfulness about the past. So I often, you think in Japan, they have this term natsukashi, and it just means nostalgic. But they use it a lot in their colloquial everyday language. Yeah. So, Oh, natsukashi, natsukashi. So it's sort of a celebration or a feedback loop of looking at the past. So in language and time, it creates how you experience time in different cultures. And so language plus a culture's relationship to past, present, and future can provide different concepts of how you understand time. Yeah. And, you know, it's not just countries' culture, but like a corporate culture or even like religious cultures, right? Reincarnation. Yeah. Um, like the Mormons, they believe in internal life mm-hmm. and how that when you get, this is why family is so important to Mormons. When you get married, you're married with them for life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you go on and on. So, you know, <laughs> imagine how that changes your perception of time if you know that the people and family you're with are going to be with you forever. <laughs> yeah. Completely changes your... So I think, you know, what I enjoy discovering and I think what helps build temporal cross-cultural understanding is just really understanding, like, the deep schematic things that are going on. Yeah. I think we have a lot to learn from indigenous cultures, obviously. Just their relationship with deep time is sort of a whole other level. We live too much in the Judeo-Christian calendar time. And I, I like to say... There's not one calendar. <clears throat> there are many calendars. And it's like, how do we tap into all those calendars? Because each calendar affects how we engage with reality in different ways. Yeah. yeah. Have you spent much time with indigenous cultures? That's one thing I want to do. I have a friend who runs an indigenous design agency. Mm-hmm. And, and I have another friend from School of Life. And we're just like, yeah, let's talk, explore indigenous time. A lot of people, it's, I'm, and I'm talking specifically Australian Aboriginal. Yeah. Indigenous, like They have actually very unique 
relationship with time, which affects like you know how we understand like native title. There's a temporality in that that's hard for us to understand. And I've only looked at its surface layer, but I was trying to understand what this concept of dream time is,、mm. and how much like dream time is a concept is embedded in their culture and how that prevents us from understanding. So dream time isn't a past or a future; it's actually something that lives above us, like and it's always there. I guess you could say it's like a collective unconscious. It's a beyond time place. Yeah. Yeah, so the, you know that's something I'm I'm still early, but but I think it's a very very important conversation to have. I think、um, it might even help us to understand to build bridges with our indigenous brothers and sisters. You know, yeah, because、totally. there's a space、uh, we un- we understand that in Australian indigenous people have a different relationship with space. Yeah, we kind of we know that, but they have a different relationship with time, and so what would Indigenous temporality look like, and how could we use that to, to help understand one another? Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I mean, I, I spoke with、um, someone called Jiralala, who was、uh, who has a, a used to have a communications Indigenous communications agency as well, and I was just sitting there, I was sitting at the Punt Road Oval in Richmond, looking at me, <laughs> just looking at the Oval in inner city Richmond, Melbourne, and just all of a sudden it was just so. Apparent how、uh, how the way that whole place is designed. I'm just thinking about place, as opposed to time for a minute. But how the design of it is so jarring to where we actually are、yeah. in the world. Yeah, and how it seems to be a denial <laughs> of where we are、right. as well. Like it's it's trying to bring Europe to Australia,、yeah. and so that we kind of think we're still in Europe, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> And then just listening and thinking about some of the things she was saying, and just having my, I guess, my eyes open a little bit to you know what what this place could be and look like if it was designed, if Indigenous Australians actually designed it with that deep knowledge of where we are, wow, and um, and um, and how how differently we would live、yeah. <laughs> as well. How I don't, who knows what it would be like, but I imagine it'd be. A lot more connected to the land for starters. For starters,、yeah. but it's like we're we're so we in our mental models, like we only know Australia from when the British came. Like what was that, seventeen seventy ish? Thirty years. Yeah, forty years. Yeah. So it's like we know nothing <laughs> about the depth of the the place of Australia, and so no wonder the wisdom of the land we're separated from that. But if we Had more wisdom with the land. I wonder what insights would, you know, we would discover from that. Yeah. You know. Yeah.、Um, yeah. Just. I guess we think we know. It's like we're disconnected from Australia. We are. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah.、Um, the areas that we hang out in are so small compared to how big the scale of the place, and they're all concreted. <laughs> and, you know, we've ripped out all the、uh, the native trees and put in. You know, London plane trees, which you've everybody hay fever and <laughs> yeah, know, that kind of stuff.、Yeah. And I guess you know, we kind of have this arrogant assumption that we know the place because we've been here for two hundred years. But there's things that don't happen over that time scale at all. They happen over five hundred years or、yep. a thousand years,、yep. which people have been here for that long, have observed and had time to learn and understand. Yeah, 
yeah. and they pass that on to generation and generation. Yeah. 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 You're talking about the Mormons and, you know, being married for life and then because they're going to be living with those people for forever. Just going back to, you know, if we, if say we lived for 150 years, I wonder if that would be challenged. Could, could we conceive of actually living, being married to the one person for, say, 100 years? Like, is that, is that even realistic? You know, would we, would we start to change the way we do relationships so that, you know, you might, be a, you might have a partner and it might be very acceptable to have a, a family partner yeah. you bring up a family with and then maybe a, an exploring my purpose partner or, you know, there could yeah. be some very different ways of, you know, intimate human relationships that emerge yeah. from that Or well. the idea of like a temp- temporary marriage or like a seven-year marriage where, where you understand that you're going on a journey together but it, it, will, it could potentially have its natural end, you know, and, and that's fine. Yeah. Like, but this whole life thing, maybe that's, because divorce has such a negative thing. Like, what would a what would another word be? First of all, you know, <laughs> yeah. where where we understood that. Just, so, just something that just came up to me is: hmm. Would if we lived to one hundred and fifty, would that help heal the time scarcity that bubbles a lot in people's consciousness? So, you know, I know for me, like I have death anxiety, and my death anxiety is built around. I won't have experienced the fullness of my life and I will die with regrets. Hmm. And that, that, you know, not enough time, not enough time, wasting time. But if I lived 150 and I knew that was going to happen yeah. and I knew I could even potentially, like, look the same, right? Yeah. Because you're going to have yeah. that hmm. anti-aging stuff. Would, would I have more abundant relationship with time? Would I be at peace you know, oh shit, I got another 60 years. I don't have to rush. I just have to trust my psyche's how it wants to unfold. The psyche has its own timetable. Yeah. So would that lead to abundance in time? Or is death in the end an integrate, like we need that to understand our own time. You know, Buddhist traditions, so many people talk about that kind of stuff. If there wouldn't, if, if we had no death, would we not know life? Because mm. they're one thing, you know. Yeah, um, you have to have one to have the opposite. You have to have one to have the opposite, right? Yeah. Um, because having a like restriction or that having that variable might shape shape us to use our time wisely. Maybe if we had 150, we'd get slack. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Who, who knows? But yeah. um, what I think what's certain is we're going to live longer. It might not be to 150. But we'll probably live to 120. Mm. I feel like that's certain. Mm. Um, and the other thing that might, might change is, I think we were touching on this before we started recording, but is having the feeling of having, which is the time scarcity stuff, but feeling like there's a societal expectation of achieving a certain thing by a certain age. Yes, yes. And maybe... Um, and we talked about, well, you know, if people just didn't keep track of their age, you know, maybe that would disappear yeah. as well. But, you know, this, you know, I feel that, like that I, I feel it less, I think, right now. But in the past, I've, I've had a lot of regrets and I've always thought I've missed my moment. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. Oh, I should have achieved that by 23 or... So how old are you now? 39. Yeah. 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 Or I should have, 
you know, for me, uh, growing up, I just wanted to be like a famous cricketer. Like that's what I wanted to be, an awesome cricketer. And then there was all, you know, from a very, it was kind of like, oh, I needed to have achieved this by 16 or 18. And then it just, this weight of it actually stopped me enjoying the game that I just loved. Wow. I just loved playing as a kid, you know, but then I built up all these expectations of what I had to achieve. And I haven't really ever gone back to cricket and the love of cricket since then. You know, it's just, uh, it's not an enjoyable thing to me anymore. Um, but yeah, I wonder if, yeah, if, you know, if I could play cricket at a higher level until I was 60, man, my teenage years would be, yeah, wow. would have been so different. I would have just loved the game. I wouldn't have cared about achieving a certain thing by a certain age. So yeah, anyway, I think that's, that's kind of an interesting thought as well. Mm. Yeah. So I, I came up with the model because I always come up with models, but I call it the clash of the ages model. And the idea is like, we're not an age, we are ages. So I'll explain. So the first thing we always ask people is, you know, what do you do and how old are you? And when we ask how old are you, we give them this number, you know, Mm -hmm. I am X years old. Mm -hmm. We think that's just a number, but it has so many layers to it. Right, there's actually mm. multiple ages at play, so you can have you know your biological age, which we know evolves at a certain you know speed. Yeah. But then we have things like let's say our societal age. You know, so we talked about like we have expectations of by this we're meant to have this. You know, the other age I call is the the decade age. You're in your twenties. You're in your thirties, mm. and that has a, a bunch of weight on top of it you know yeah but then you also have your like psyche's age which doesn't really care about the numbers but it unfolds on its own terms you know and you have to like trust that some people i think you could argue there's like a soul age you know when people say you're an old soul yeah or you're young at heart yeah you know so there's multiple ages going on and when you can kind of see those things for me it's it's helped understand my tension that I have a clash of the ages yeah. and my inquiry is how I integrate those things. So for me, I turned 33 and I'm really experiencing intense early thirties kind of mild crisis because on one hand, I'm still reaching out to my twenties a little bit and the use and the, the, the sense of in your twenties, we have all your future, you know, possibilities still here. Yeah. And I'm 30 now and it's, you know, my friends are having kids and, and I'm really having to be an adult, but I find adulting tiring. You know, like it's just, I want to be a kid. You know, and like I often call it uh, again another metaphor, but the Russian doll of ages. Yeah. So, you know, we are 39 or 33, but your 12-year-old still actually exists. It's the time has changed, the space has changed, but to your psyche, it's still like there. Yeah, it, it, you know, and so it's like, how do you dialogue with all those ages and create space for all those ages? So for me, it's like my inner child wants a place, but I also, you know, one need to face the realities of being an adult, mm. you know, and so that that's something I'm currently yeah. working through. And you know, with the thirty stuff, like, yeah, things about having kids, getting married, stress about career. I have no time. I'm not going to fulfill these things. Yeah, yeah. I haven't traveled enough is something that's on my mind a lot. Yeah. Because you're meant to travel a lot in your 20s. And if you don't travel in your 30s, 
you know, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, be mindful of the clash of the ages. Use uh, listeners and see how, you know, you can have a dialogue with them. It may not. Just being aware of the tension is the is the for the first step. I love that model. Like yeah. that's thinking about all those different ways of understanding age. Oh, so useful. And it, just hearing you talk about that, like I, let me just reflect on my own experience yeah, in the please, past little please, while as please. well. So, yeah, I'm 39 now. I feel 32. Like, wow. That's how I feel. Your emotional age, maybe. That's, a, that's another yeah, thing. Yeah, maybe it is. Yeah. yeah. And, it's funny, like, I have gone through quite a big life change over the past three years as well, where my living situations have changed dramatically. And so I have my kids every second week. So I, I have them for the whole week, and then I'm a single guy for a week as well. And how that, that has totally changed how I think about my age as well, because, wow. you know, all of a sudden I the people, my friends, who were all kind of having kids and getting married and doing all that kind of stuff at the same time and were on a particular trajectory, I've, mine's changed dramatically right. from that. And now I have this week where my, my routines don't really fit in with theirs so much and there's this whole group of people now that I'm starting to meet and interact with that are more like that week and wow. it's just changing yeah wow it's like i'm tapping back into an earlier age wow. in doing that which is it's bringing so much life into my life it was very unexpected but and the, you know there's there's downsides to that as well there's been a, a lot to experience and work through so i'm not recommending it for everyone but there's also been some incredible upside and richness and um changes and changes in in concepts that it's brought to my life too. And part of it has been, I don't, I no longer feel, I used to be an incredibly regretful person, like thinking about, I missed, I missed that opportunity, I missed this opportunity, I wasn't a great cricketer because I didn't do this and that and that, and it's all too late for me. And now it's changed and I kind of think I've got, I just feel at peace with what I've done and I'm just wow. so grateful for the, where I am right now whatever age I am of getting here, I'm just grateful to be here at some point in my life where um, I guess, you know, and, and by that I mean it's a bit of an acceptance of who I am and a bit of an, a bit more, much more of an understanding of what I want to do and, and freedom to express that. And it's taken me all that portion of my life and a crisis, if you like, to get there. But yeah, anyway, that's a bit of a rant and a bit of a rant. No, I, I find that deeply moving, you know. For me, like, hearing a reflection of, another person who's integrated an aspect of their ages, you know, mm. and how we could share that with people. Yeah. That's really, you know, beautiful. And for me to know that that kind of thing is, is, is possible. Yeah. The other, just to weave back to another thing of why this clash of ages thing occurs is you look at our educational structure, right? We divide people in ages, preschool yeah. to grade 12, 12 years, and we exist in our year group, yeah. you know, and it creates the assumption that we all evolve at the same time. Yeah. We don't. We have different, you know, I might be good at math for two years and you might be good at English for four years, but I might have my peak at math in grade, you know, eight or something. Yeah. So that illusion that we all grow at, a, we all move at the same time, 
creates that clash of the ages. I do this thing. It's so deeply subconscious. And I'm aware of it, but I still do it. So I'm a 1984 baby. If I meet someone 1984 and they're on the same, like, maybe this is a guy thing, like, success as me, I feel okay. Right? <laughs> yes. If they're younger than me, yes. like, I have a few 85, 86 friends who've got a lot of early success, yeah. I feel je- jealous. If someone's 82 or 81 and they're success, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, oh, I've got time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I do this too. You do it too, oh, right? Everyone sorry. does it. Yeah. You can't help it. And so I analyze... <laughs> my world through my peers of 1984 yeah. and make sense of my age through my 84-ness. That's another, the birth age and the conditioning that comes around that. So it's like, how do you transcend? I don't know, that doesn't happen all the time. But yeah, just in some cases, I, I don't even think about that. Yeah. It comes stage, but it, yeah, it's still conditioned in me. That's what, that's what I'm sort of saying. Yeah. And especially like with, things like Facebook where that's reinforced where you have your there's a bracket of your like school friends on Facebook yeah. you, you know you're all the same age yeah, yeah. so you compare their unfolding of time yeah. to yours yeah, yeah. totally yeah. a couple of things you I think you posted something on Facebook actually about about this which sort of there's this little video about you know there's you know someone was CEO when they were 20 and then they died when they were 50 or yep. you know someone became CEO for the first time when they were 50, but lived to they were 100, you yeah. know, and yeah. just challenging, challenging that, what yeah. you're talking about yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, and understanding that, yeah, like you said, everyone has their own temporal unfolding. Temporal unfolding, yeah. You know, and, and like how can we create space for that yeah. and then support each other with whatever is present for them. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, too, like there's so much pressure, you know, it's like you have to think about superannuation, you know, now, you got to invest now or you're not going to, you know, it's just, it's just, oh, it just blows my mind how much societal pressure we put on wherever age you're at. Yeah. It's really, fuck, no. It just blows my mind. And I actually, I don't even know if it's possible to transcend that stuff. Yeah, it but takes yeah, conscious effort. It takes conscious effort. Or a no, massive crisis. Possible. Yeah, a massive crisis, right? Yeah. This is the midlife crisis. Yeah. Maybe the midlife crisis is a clash of the ages. Yeah. Actually, I probably think it is. Yeah. That's what it is. And you have to re- in, recontextualize your ages. Yes. You know, it's just, that's actually, yeah, yeah I, uh, that's what it is. You're taking self, you're deliberately or being forced to in some cases because of health or something yeah. to take yourself off a known given trajectory and saying, well, maybe that's not for me. Yeah. Or maybe I can't do that anymore. My body is rebelling against yes. that. Yeah. I have to yield to it now for yeah. a period of time. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I think, um, yeah, just to sort of back to something we said at the beginning, like if we had more understanding of our own temporal rhythms, so our ages, you talked about your work rhythm. Yeah. You know, I, I just think there's this big empty space to talk about our own unique temporalities and how that would lead to empathy and just uh, I just think there's so yeah. much potential there that it's, it's done in bits but not cohesively yeah in the way I think it could be done yeah yeah you've seen it done in bits have yeah, you seen it well you know you, you you hear people talk about you know how do I use my time better like it's a bit, mm. but they don't understand all the other moving pieces yeah that are part of it yeah 
yeah, just, um, you know, as my practice involves with this stuff, I, I'm really excited to create conditions for people to, like, talk about this stuff. Yeah. And then, like, on an organizationally and on a sort of bigger level, like, how could we have conversations around, like, the temporality of a lot of our world's greatest challenges? So what I mean by that is there's a clash of the ages between climate change. There's the epoch age versus the societal structure, like the political cycles age, yeah. which operates on like three-year terms yeah. or whatever, that it creates the clash, right? Yeah. So there's just, and again, I, I haven't done as much pattern deciphering as I like to, but you know, when I hang out with these social entrepreneurs and change makers, my question is, okay, what's the temporality of what they're doing? And how can temporality allow us to, to to work and, and heal a lot of our societal wounds. Yeah. You know, we talk about societal environmental challenges, which is space. What about the temporal challenges? Like, let's let's have sophisticated conversation around that. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, you kind of almost mocked yourself a little bit by saying, oh, another metaphor. But I think metaphors are, in a way, all we have yeah. <laughs> about this stuff. Yeah. And, I know I remember what my question was going to be about going back to the Purpose Conference and one of the, one of the metaphors that you put forward there was how you ask people to reflect, okay, when you think about time in terms of your body, like is time in front of you or is time behind you? And for me, time was in front of me. Oh, sorry, the future. Was future in front of you or is yep. the future behind you? Yep, yep. And for me, yeah, the future is very much in front of me. I'm looking towards the future and the past is behind me. But in some cultures, as you pointed out, it's the reverse of that. Like they're facing the past because they can see it, I suppose, and the future is unknown yeah. and behind them. Which actually yeah. makes complete sense. Yeah. 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 Another, another frame. Or some cultures like the, the past is below and the future is up. Yeah. Which, sound, which is very subtly quite different. And if you, if you stepped into the other one, I wonder how it would yeah. shape. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the whole body, time, space thing is really with another can of worms. So, yes. Yeah. But yeah, your metaphor thing. I think metaphors and stories is the only way, not the only way, but it's really one significant way in order to have this conversation because yeah. it's invisible. It's... It's, it's hard. The, the metaphor is a way of unlocking the inquiry. Totally. Otherwise, you just stay blind and you don't notice it. And we're applying them anyway. Yeah, we use metaphors all the time. It's like, yeah. That's part of our language. It's actually nothing new. Everything. Language is a metaphor in a sense. It's abstractions <laughs> yeah. of letters that we use to describe things, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I think metaphors and narratives and is needed. And I think this stuff. And Dr. Time is that, I guess. Yeah. And Dr. Time does that. Like, yeah. it, I think you, well, you, you kind of help us understand, did you know that you're actually applying this metaphor and this is the impact it's having on your psyche, on the way you live, on the way yeah. you interact and the way you think about where you live? Yeah. Maybe you could try thinking about this one. It might be more useful. Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe that's, well, you just said, maybe that's something that I integrate, like helping people see the, the unconscious metaphors and you're just shedding a light onto them. And what are all those unconscious metaphors or the most common ones 
and how can we have inquiry in that? And once people can see that, maybe then they invent their own metaphors to help because it's probably unique to everyone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Another thing that you mentioned is like if we understood people's like temporal markers. So what I mean by that is like cricket. You said cricket. There's like a that was a sort of marker in your life, mm. and there was like before cricket or after cricket. Yeah. You know, for me, like a temporal marker is like I came to Australia when I was in '93. Yeah. You know, and I moved to Melbourne three years ago, and so there's like markers that I put to measure my life. Yeah. And then you know, another more subtle thing, like I've been here for three years. And I have this intent, like I need to travel more for the next three years. So that's a marker that how it shapes things.、Mm. So everyone has these markers, and you you don't know them. Like that person right there, that we're looking at in the office, like she might be in year five of her journey, you know, and she has to do two more years of work. So our horizons internally are different. Yeah, we don't know that, so we don't we can't understand where people are at. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah, yeah I love that. And like, even just you saying that has, has helped me kind of think about my own life in terms of temporal markers as well, and also in terms of a rhythm. So I think I have a bit of a four-year rhythm. Oh wow! To the way since I've left school, like about you know about four years at uni, four years in my first job, four years in second job, four years in Sydney, four years back in Melbourne, and then big. And that seems like maybe at the end of that four years, big change, and I think I'm on a different rhythm now. It's like、oh, I've hit、wow. my late thirties. I'm about to embark upon kind of a new cycle for the next. Maybe it's twenty year blocks. Maybe there's another one. Like first twenty years, education. Second twenty years, four year cycles. Next one's going to be on. Wow, so cool. Yeah.、Right. <laughs> oh, and this relates back to your 150. If we lived 150 questions, like you know. I'm going to dedicate 30 years to this rhythm, yeah, and put all my energy because I know in 30 years I'm going to have another, you know, cycle that I'll get to dive into. Yeah,、know? that's right. And this is, this is related to the mastery thing, right? They talk about the 10,000 hour rule.、Mm. You know, what would that cycle look like? Yeah, it's just there's just temporality in everything, <laughs> you know, and it's it's.、Mm. I find this stuff. It's not complicated when you get it. Yeah. It's it's just it's something everyone is already sense making. You just Doctor Time and my work just creates a container for people to know what they already know. Yeah. <laughs> and when you can see, you can. It's like putting on a pair of glasses, right? Yeah.、You、just you can see far away and close by, and you can see the textures of things. Yeah. That. Yeah, we sort of. Partially blind too. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I just I went to just to make a, a point by talking about a tangent. There's this guy called Wim Hof. He calls himself the Ice Man. I don't have heard of him. Yeah. 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 And I went to his.、Um, he was in Melbourne a couple of weeks ago, and I went to his workshop and just listening to him and how how deep he has gone into this and how he's just followed a curiosity and he's he's. Found out things about himself and about us as humans. As a result, like now, it's being he's having a whole lot of science and rigor put behind what he's doing, and it's sort of extrapolating out the the benefits of what he's doing. But how he's just, I guess, what I'm thinking about is how 
how he's gone into something that no one else has really done before, how he's gone really deep into it, and he's finding out things about our reality that nobody was able to conceive of or feel or understand and how the implications now for mental health, for uh, immunity, yes. for um, burning fat for weight loss as well uh, seem to be quite profound and it's quite a simple thing that he's, he's boiled it down to. I think that's, that's kind of what you're doing as well, yep. going deep into this stuff and the implications it will take, you know, 10 years seems like sure. a good rhythm to go really deep and then to be able to draw that out and help all of us put on those glasses so yep. that we can see we can see things in a different way. We can start to see and conceive of our reality and then start to design it in a yeah, different way. Yeah, more nuanced yeah. ways. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And well, we were doing a lot of weaving back and forth, but that's good about time. <laughs> like back to your question, if we had... 150 years plus didn't have to work. Like, imagine if all the structures were set up to support people to find their one, like, lens of life that will contribute to all of humanity. Yeah. yeah. And yes. dive deep into oh. that as much as possible and oh. then share that one thing they find. So then you have all these people who found their one, like, particular lens of reality cross-pollinating with each other. Oh if your thing for the next 10 years is understanding the nuance of su- subtleness, yeah. you know, and then we come together in 10 years, someone who's seen subtleness, someone who's seen time, we're, we're seeing the same, we're talking about the same reality, we're just a different jigsaw. Like, what would, what would that look like? And sure, what yeah. would, what, I, I think at that point we'd sort of have like a, a, an enlightened Society, yeah, you know, yeah, just a, just a kind of whole nother, yeah. What if that was the norm and this whole what you, you guys didn't do that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, like I, I, I like to think, you know, I, my, one of my coach, my mentor, lady by the name of Michelle James, her whole one thing is emergence. She's been studying emergence and patterns of emergence and creativity and emergence for about 35 years. Yeah. And that's informed Dr. Time. You know, one of the things they use is like an acorn, right? An acorn can grow to a bloody huge oak. Yeah. In that acorn is a design pattern that, no, that like naturally just turns itself to oak. I think our psyches are the same. Mm. There is a pattern in there somewhere that inherent in it is an oak tree that can support life. So how, what does a world look like that provides genuine, uh, generative conditions for everyone's oak to emerge? Yeah. You know, and, what, and then particularly what are the temporal structures that allow that to happen? And that could be like, right, temporal inclusivity, managing clash of the ages. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... It's so, it's so interesting thinking about that because, you know, your curiosity, there's no university course for it, right? And what you've actually done is, I guess, somehow allowed yourself to be a bit curious and explore some things that were bubbling up in you and then acknowledge that that seemed to be something that resonated deeply within you and needed to be explored more strongly. And... That's what I've kind of found with me and it's, it's taken me to this point to start to do that. I was on a very different way of thinking that, you know, following somebody else's plan essentially rather than 
having those skills of deep inquiry and courage, I guess, because there's, a, there's an awareness element to it, but then there's also the courage to realise, oh, no one else is doing this and it's a bit different. Maybe I shouldn't be, maybe that means it's wrong, as opposed to maybe that thinks that's, this is my thing and I can now start just seeing where it leads and following yeah. the tentacles. That's, I love that idea. I think that's, it's, it's so enlightening, as you say, and encouraging and, and liberating for people to know that if, if we could impart that, that, you know, you can go deep on a subject and we're going we're gonna to provide a framework and we're going to provide support and, and love for, to enable you to do that. It's going to be uncertain. It's going to be dark. It's going to be yucky. And think about career development from that lens. Like, you have to reimagine what a career is. Yeah. What if we had, here, let's support you, have your central inquiry, go on a journey to understand that. And work is all about supporting that to happen and getting your inquiry to work with different, rather than this whole, like, linearity up the mountain thing where you go, like, one job roll, next, you go up, you go up, and you, you develop deep insight. But just to weave back in, one of the reasons how this all kicked off actually was I was part of this online community called Wisdom Hackers which is when I think about an experiment in a new form of career planning what I mean by that is we called it a incubator for philosophers so there was 12 of us no 13 of us Mm -hmm. and everyone was given um, we were all asked to choose a question that we wanted to deeply inquire into yeah I originally had something else but just through a whole bunch of serendipity I decided to explore what is time yeah so I've just been with that question for ages and look look what's happened yeah so everyone has that capacity like what's the biggest question how can we help you explore that question because the more people explore the question the more we help you find their one thing the more we can help find their one pattern think of that like imagine if seven billion people were sensing their one pattern (laughs) We'd sense the universe and like reality in a whole another life. Just sort of blows my mind to, yeah, yeah just, yeah, yeah. This is why I like just talking to people because you just, I just want to understand their worldview. Yeah. yeah. I think in, there's a German word, um, umwit, okay. umwit, which is like kind of your reality bubble that you exist in. Yeah. Animals live in their reality bubble, us live in their reality bubble, so kind of paint each other's reality bubble yeah yeah anyway <laughs> so much stuff yeah. yeah um let me just see what are we like with time time yeah we time to wrap up yeah there's a couple of questions that i ask as we do that yeah there is a question about mm, maybe i've got three questions for you the first one's about you know as Say for people that are listening to this and they might have a bit of an idea of what that question is for them, what are, what are some really practical things that they can do to, I guess, enable that to be nurtured within them in a safe way and in a, in a way where it can just grow? You know, what are some of the Good things that question. you do? Well, let's, let's, the most obvious one is, like, find a community. Yeah. We're social animals, you know. We need each other, especially when we're doing inquiries. So, like, who's people that you can maybe collectively have an inquiry? Like, I don't know, maybe, what about, like, a mastermind group instead Mm. of a mastermind? That's such a crappy term. Like, an inquiry mind. Mm. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and maybe the first thing is asking to get all meta, like what is the question for you, you know? Because I had one question, but it was something else. And I think, in, you know, when you are, like, it's not brain, it's mind, heart, and body, and yes. instinct. That's how you find the one question. Yeah. Yeah, so that's probably one. Yeah, it's good. One. Yeah. yeah. I certainly found that for myself as well. And why don't we do this at the Subtle Disruptors Meetup? <laughs> Get everyone to explain, or like, what's their one pattern or, you know, narrative that they're seeing. And then rather than collaborate, like when you bring everyone together on just their bios, like people come together on their, what they're sensing. Yes. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, second, what was the second question? Second question is, so it's about, I guess, something that, I mean, is this something outside of, you kind of got a 10-year 10-year idea of the, the, the rhythm of this for yourself. But is there, I don't know, I almost don't want to ask you this question because um, it's sort of taking you out way into the future. But I'll ask it anyway, and if it doesn't quite work, we, we don't have to do it. But it's a, I ask people, you know, is there, a, is there something you would, you're curious about disrupting one day that sort of ticks around in the back of your mind that's not something that you're working on right now? And you're working all around disrupting our concepts of time. But is there something else that... Yeah, is there something you daydream about being part of one day? Well, I guess another cause I'm interested in is um, reimagining mental health, yeah. mental health systems and structures. I've, I've had a long 10-year journey navigating that. Yeah. I've been in and out of hospital five times. Like, I've just been through the system and just seen some of the faults at play there. And um, one of the things that, like, gets my fierce anger is systems that make people feel broken. Hmm when they're not actually as broken as they think they are. Yeah. Yeah, so that's one thing, I, you know, I, I plan to continue working on yeah. in, in conjunction with this type of stuff. Do you think the work that you're doing is already... Yeah, doing a bit of, of course, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah, it's just another... Um, but, but I think, you know, for, for me, it's just... It's, it's more the everyday people who face this kind of stuff. Like, this stuff is all abstract and futures and big thinking but like there's a side of me that also just wants to be help people in the now you know because this is good but there's people who are suffering right now and yeah I, part of my mission is to help those people yeah yeah cool yeah. the last question is uh, a reflection on yourself um and as we know the podcast is about subtle disruption and subtle disruptors and just wanted to ask you about a small, subtle change that you've made in your own life at some point that's had an important, it's had an important impact or made an important sustaining or changing impact on your life. That'd be interesting for other people to hear about hmm. as well. What's a subtle change? This, this, I think for me, what's coming to mind in the moment is just probably being at awe with the mystery of time, or the actually mystery of life in general, and trying to train myself or brainwash myself to see the beauty of life, you know, whether that's reading science or I have a strong like monk tendency in me, like I probably just I'd love to just sit in, you know, sit in a, with monks and just learn the nature of reality actually. So. Yeah. There's an author I like named by Thomas More. 
he's like this Catholic priest turned philosopher and he talks about we need to bring more enchantment to life so that like the divine beauty that exists like there's a beauty in sadness you know there's a beauty in families there's like just there is this enchanting beautiful layer this is what poets do right mm. and if you can like and I don't do this all the time of course but I try to dialogue with the the divine nature of things which is you know what I tap into and that's why I think in doing that I can get inspired very easily that so that's probably my subtle trick yeah when I'm inspired you have creative energy to go forward and it's easy to talk about your passions so yeah how do you train yourself to see subtlety so you can be inspired yeah yeah Awesome, Eddie. Yeah. So good to chat with you. Hey, right? great to be yeah. there. Really, thanks for, um, oh yeah, yeah, thanks for everyone for listening and just giving me an opportunity to articulate some things on my mind. So if you've gotten this far of the podcast, yeah, really appreciate it. And yeah, reach out to me um, if you'd like to talk further. What are some ways people can reach out to you? We'll include it in the show notes, but what's some, some good ways to, to yeah, get in contact? Um, so, I mean, Twitter is probably best. So at Eddie Harron or at Dr. Time underscore. Just... That's, yeah, those are probably the best ways. Just add me on Facebook if you want. My website, eddieherring.com. You'll find me if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Eddie. All right. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I have a question for you. What is a new concept of time you could adopt for this week? And if you do this, what did you notice about how it changed how you were? If you feel like sharing your thoughts on this or anything else about my conversation with Eddie can do so by posting something on the Facebook page, through Twitter or Instagram, or even by sending me an email to adam at subtledisruptors.com. And of course, let me know if there are subtle disruptors you think I should know about. I'm Adam Murray, and I hope you feel a little more encouraged, connected, and resolute in your own quest of subtle disruption. Bye for now.